Have you ever read a phrase in the Bible uh, that just kind of jumped out at you? It kind of grabbed and gripped your attention because it, uh, it didn't say what you thought it was going to say. Uh, maybe it went against what seemed logical or what seemed normal. It went against what you thought or what you knew or perhaps what you thought you knew. Sometimes the Bible's good at doing that, right? Changing our thinking, hopefully, and teaching us that we don't know as much as we think that we know. Uh, tonight's message for me was kind of born out of one of those phrases that I read in the Bible that jumped out at me because it just didn't seem to go along with what I had previously known or what I would previously thought. I first noticed this uh, phrase, actually I was reading through a book with our Iron Man uh, group a few months ago. Uh, a group of us men from the church get together and read a book and, and talk about how God's been working in our life through that. And then we kind of continued that through uh, our small group with some of the young adults here at the church uh, through the spring. And then now it's kind of born into this message. And so um, God really kind of allowed this passage or this really this phrase to jump out at me and, and make me ask some questions. And so I want to look at that together tonight. Hebrews chapter number four. If you'll allow me, I'm going to read uh, the whole passage here tonight that we'll be looking at. Hebrews chapter four. And we'll pray and then we'll look at our study tonight. Hebrews chapter four. Let's look at verse number one. The Bible says this, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundations of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, today after so long a time, as it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, or let us labor there, therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we can meet together. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill this place and that you'd fill me. And Lord, I need you tonight, and I pray that you would help our time to be profitable, that you'd speak to us, that you'd challenge us and teach us from your word, that we can leave here more equipped to serve you and live for you this week, Lord. Well, thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask you a question, and uh, if you're comfortable, I'd love you to speak out your response to me tonight, all right? So I want to paint a picture, and then I'm going to ask you a question. So you've had a, a long, hard week at work, all right? It's been difficult. Uh, the boss has been all over you. It's been just a crazy week. It's a Friday night. You're coming home from a long weekend, you're, you're just or to a long weekend. You're just exhausted, all right? You're looking forward to some well-deserved R&R, some rest and relaxation, what are you picturing as a way for you to rest and relax? What's something for you to say, when I get home from a long week at work, this is what I want to do to rest and relax. Anyone have anything like that? What do you like to do? 
Shut all your alarms off. Okay, perfect. That's one I had written in for sure. Sleeping in. Anyone else? One more. Don't answer your phone. Okay, that's a great one. Here's someone that I had written down. Uh, putting our feet up on the couch, right? Kind of taking a load off. Maybe taking off the work boots or the shoes you've been wearing all day and just putting your feet up on the couch. Uh, for Alone and I, we live on the south end of town, so we like to just zip up to Port Stanley in the evening, take a walk by the water. Very peaceful and, and restful for us. Uh, maybe you like to spend an evening in, you know, watch a TV show or a movie with your family, read a good book, relax. Uh, and I had this, the one that Paul mentioned there, sleeping in, you know, turning off all your alarms, not wanting to wake up early in the morning. Perhaps you can enjoy that on the weekend. But I want you to notice, did you catch the certain phrase that we read in this passage that seems to go completely contrary to what we just talked about as an idea of resting and relaxing? Look at verse number 11 with me one more time. The Bible says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. That was the phrase that first grabbed my attention because when I think of rest and relaxation, I think of chilling and relaxing and letting everything go and, and stopping work. But the Bible is telling us here that we need to labor to enter into rest. It seems to be contrary to my thinking. Why do we have to work hard in order to rest? It seems like rest would be the opposite of working hard. Rest is what we do to recover from hard work. We don't have to work hard to enter into rest. But obviously the Bible is true, and so I wasn't understanding something correctly, and so that began a study into this passage. And so I want to answer this question tonight. What does the Bible mean when it teaches us that we must labor to enter into rest? So I hope to answer that question tonight from this passage. I want to look at three truths tonight about laboring into rest. The first thing I'd like us to notice if you're taking notes or following along is that God promises his people a present and a perfect rest. God promises his people a present and a perfect rest. When we read the Bible, it's so important to understand it in its context. Who was it written to? Who was it written by? What is the circumstances surrounding uh, the, the story of when it's being written? It cannot mean to us what it did not mean to the people it was written to. And in, and in this passage specifically, the author is referring to a story at different times throughout our text uh, that happened many, many, many years before this was written. And so in order to understand it, we've got to go back almost all the way to the beginning. Back to Genesis chapter number 12. In Genesis chapter number 12, something very pivotal in the Bible takes place. There's a man named Abraham. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. And God makes a promise to Abraham. We would call it a covenant, a promise with Abraham. Uh, we would refer to it as the Abrahamic covenant. It just means Abraham's promise or Abraham's covenant. He makes a promise with Abraham to bless him, and really there's three aspects to this promise that God makes to Abraham. Number one, he promises him a land, a land. He tells Abraham, hey, get out from where you live, and, and you're going to go and travel to a land that I will show you. Abraham doesn't know where this land will be and what the parameters are of it at this time, but he, he's told by God to get up and to follow God to a land that he has prepared for Abraham. We'd refer to that as the promised land or Canaan land. So God promises him a land. Number two, he promises him a seed. He tells Abraham, who has no children at the time, that he'll use him to be the father of a great nation, the father of many nations. Imagine being Abraham, having no children, and thinking, okay, God, uh, sure, I'll be the father of a great nation. And that's what God promises him. And lastly, he promises him a blessing, that if Abraham will obey and follow God, that God will bless Abraham. 
And not just Abraham and his family and his line, but he actually promises Abraham that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we see this Abrahamic covenant, a land, a seed, and a blessing. This covenant, this promise begins an Old Testament story all throughout the Old Testament of God and his dealings, his interactions with his chosen people. From Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we follow the story of the children of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Now this story is not just always smooth sailing. I wish it was. But we look back at the Old Testament, we know which was written for our example, and we see all kinds of highs and lows in the story of the children of Israel. We know that they did not always follow God and obey God the way that God had intended them to do. Their disobedience led them ultimately into the wilderness. After they left and exited or exodus from Egypt, where they were captive, Moses led them out into the wilderness, and instead of following God, they, because of their disobedience, they wandered there for 40 years. I want you to picture, as this promise that God gave to Abraham has been passed down through his line and from generation to generation, what a promise of rest and what a promise of land and seed and blessing would mean to wanderers in the wilderness. God's people were nomads. They had no home, no place to lay their head, no place to call their own. They were just wandering, following God's leading and fighting enemies and crossing rivers and kind of alone, all in the wilderness. Imagine the promise of a land. That would be a promise of great rest, a place to call their own. No more rivers to cross, no more battles to fight, no more manna to gather, a place that they could set down roots, a place of security and safety and rest. This was the promise that God's people would have known and looked for as they wandered through the wilderness. I remember... Uh, when Aloma and I first got married, and even actually before we got married, I lived there, but when we first got married, uh, we lived with the Stones. They have a basement apartment in their place, and we rented from them uh, for the first two years of our marriage. And we had a great time. We really did. It was a great apartment. We're thankful for it. It allowed us to save up and everything. Uh, but there's a, an aspect or a feeling of when you're renting a place that it's, it's just not your own. You know, you're renting it, and we kind of knew this was a, a stay along our journey. This wasn't our final destination. We were there for a short time and for a a short purpose with hopes of being able to one day buy our own home. And God allowed us last year uh, to be able to get a place of our own. We're so thankful for that, the way he provided and the way he worked that out. And I remember when we first moved, uh, we we got the place and we got the keys. It was such an exciting day. And you know, those first couple nights packing, moving our things in and unpacking and getting getting everything set up. I remember one night alone and I were in the living room and she looked at me and she said, I'm just waiting I'm just waiting for the people who really own this place to come home and kick us out. It just didn't feel real. It was like, wow, we finally have a place to call our own. This is ours. No one's coming to tell us, hey, your time is up. You got to get out of here. Like, this is our final destination. Not that that's maybe the only house we'll ever live in, but it was just a feeling of rest and security. Like, man, this is ours. Wow. And that's the feeling that the children of Israel were looking for, longing for as they wandered through the desert. But we know that, the, that Moses and the children of Israel didn't just wander with their feet, but they wandered with their hearts. They wandered away from God, many times uh, failing to trust him and obey him and follow him. They murmured and complained and wished to be back in captivity under Egypt. They worshipped other gods. There's a famous story in, in the book of Exodus. Uh, Moses has been up on the Mount Sinai fellowshipping with God. And God and Moses are talking and God's like, Hey Moses, your people 
are down there, and they've taken their golden jewelry, and they've put it together, and they've, uh, they've melted it down, and they've created an image, an idol, a calf. And they're worshiping a calf and saying, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And he sends Moses down the hill. He's like, you got to go get your people. And in Exodus chapter 32, the last verse, in verse 35, I'd like to read it to you. The Bible says this, the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. And the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people. God's saying, you know what, Moses, I'm going to honor my promise. I'm going to give you the land, but I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel in to prepare the land for you, to wipe out the enemies, but my presence is not going with you. Because my chosen people have disobeyed me. They're a stiff-necked, a stubborn people who have turned to other gods. He's like, you can go into the land that I promised you, but my presence is not going with you. And Moses has a famous response in the next chapter where he tells God, hey, look, if your presence isn't going, don't send us there. I don't want to go where your presence is not. We begin to see that Moses understood something, that the promise of rest in the land was more than just the ground that they stood on. Moses knew this, that if his feet were on the ground, but he wasn't fellowshipping with God, then that wasn't the promise he was looking for. And we begin to understand that rest in a promised land is so much more than just a physical promise, both for the Israelites in the Old Testament and for us here in Hebrews chapter number four. And so I want to look again in our text, Hebrews chapter four, and let's look at verse number four, as we understand that there is a present and a perfect rest that God promises to his people. Look at verse number four of Hebrews 4. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. Here we see in the passage at this time that that the author is talking about the Sabbath, and the Sabbath rest. And even in Exodus, in the context there, uh, God is talking to his chosen people about the Sabbath about setting apart time to rest and to build uh, rest into their schedule. You see, God who created the universe, created the universe with a certain rhythm. Six days on of creation and one day to rest. It's the tempo, the rhythm by which the world spins. And who better to tell us what rhythm to follow than the God who created the world? Who should tell us how we should live our lives than the God who created us, who knows how best we are to function? And he's teaching us here in Hebrews that even from the very seventh day of creation, he rested and gave us an example of building into our schedules rest. So absolutely the rest that we're seeing here in Hebrews speaks of a future and a complete and a perfect rest, but there's more to it. God offers his people, both in the Old Testament and today, a present rest. Think of Matthew chapter 11, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus offers to us a way of living, a yoke that we can come alongside with Christ and shoulder and handle a heavy load, a difficult burden of life, because he offers us rest. He doesn't promise that life will be easy, 
but he promises that if we yoke up with Jesus, he'll allow us to be able to handle a difficult load because he'll walk alongside us and give us rest. He'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. He'll give us his spirit to comfort us in difficult times, to come alongside us like Aaron and Hur did to Moses and lift up our hands in the middle of the battle to always be with us in the difficult and dark times, to give us strength to rise up and walk and run and not be weary and not faint. Perhaps you've been living your life at a breakneck pace. I think a lot of Christians are living their life looking for a future rest, knowing that one day their life will be with Jesus Christ and there is a perfect rest that's coming, and that is absolutely true, both for Israel and for us. But God promises us rest today. I think sometimes we choose to take ourselves out of the rhythm that God has intended for us to live, not allowing ourselves to rest here on earth. Notice that God did not just give his children a promise of rest after the wilderness, but gave them the Sabbath, which was rest in the wilderness. God's desire for us is that we would find rest and peace for our souls, even in the wilderness journey of this life. If you've been living your life at a speed, at a pace that God has not intended you to, then you will not experience his rest. Sure, you can look forward to a perfect and a future rest, but there is a present rest that God wants to give you, a peace, a joy, a rest here on this earth. The Christian life is to be full of devotion and service and surrender and sacrifice but it's also to be filled of joy and peace and rest. Think of the story of Mary and Martha. I think sometimes we have a lot of Martha in us and not a lot of Mary. Serving is so important, and Martha understood this, but Mary understood that one thing was needful for her to sit and rest and fellowship at the feet of Christ. And sometimes we get so out of balance, and this passage is speaking of our rest. And so we see that there is promise to God's people, both in the Old Testament and here in the New Testament today, a present and a perfect rest. Verse number eight teaches us this, for if Jesus had given them rest, he would not have spoken afterward of another day. You see, the rest that Jesus is speaking of was not just the perfect rest that will come, because if they had entered into complete rest, there'd be nothing else to speak of. Our final end journey and destination is to rest in fellowship with God forever. Moses understood that, hey, the the promised land is not just about being where God wants us to be, but it's about being with God. And that's what rest is, is complete and eternal fellowship with God, our Savior. But there's a perfect rest to come and a present rest that we can experience today. So number one, we see that God promises to his people both a present and a perfect rest. Number two, I'd like us to see this tonight. We fail to enter into rest because of our unbelief. All throughout this passage, we see this theme of unbelief. And really, in studying, I've understood now to see that this passage is as much about faith and unbelief as it is about rest. Look at verse verse number 10 with me. Uh, Sorry, let's look at verse number 1. Let's look at Hebrews 4, look at verse number 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Look back with me at Hebrews 3 in those last three verses leading into Hebrews chapter number 4, verse 17. 
but whom was he, this is God, grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not? Now look at verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. We see the pattern from the Old Testament that there was a group of the believers of God's chosen people who could not enter into the perfect and complete and promised rest because of their unbelief. We too fail to enter into God's rest that he has prepared for us because of our unbelief. I remember growing up, I had a conversation with my mom. And we were talking about this idea of uh, Sabbath and, and resting and taking a day off to honor the Lord and Sundays. And, and maybe you grew up in a home where there was some sort of special uh, emphasis on what you could or could not do on, on the Lord's Day or Sabbath or something like that. But I remember speaking to my mom and she said to me, or asked me a couple questions, and they always kind of stuck with me. She asked me this. She said, don't you believe that God is able to do more with the money you make in six days than the money you could make in seven? She said, don't you think that God is able to allow you to accomplish more in six days than he could allow you to accomplish in seven? Do not, we believe, do not we believe that that is the God that we serve who's able to use us and bless us more in six days if we honor him than we could in seven? We say that we do, but ultimately we take ourselves out of that rhythm that God has prepared for us because we do not believe what he said. We do not experience present rest because we do not have faith. We do not believe. We live life at a breakneck pace, trying to achieve or accomplish more and have more and be more and do more because we think it's the way to success and joy and peace and satisfaction. We do not have belief. We fail also to enter into perfect rest because we do not believe. Think in Acts chapter 16, there's a famous story of Paul and Silas who are in the prison. There's an earthquake, and the, the jailer is getting ready to take his life. He thinks all the prisoners have escaped, and it'll be his head for it. And Paul and Cyrus are like, hey, no, 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 we're all still here. And they begin to talk to this man, and the man asks them how he can be saved. And they answer him in verse 31 of Acts 16. They say this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. We see a belief is the key to perfect and final rest, and unbelief is what stops us from achieving it. And so I ask you today, are you believing in Jesus for your eternal security and for your rest here on earth? I'm afraid that so many of us, like the children of Israel, on the outward are living our lives for God, but have not believed in God and his promises. We are doing what's right and looking the right way and acting the part and living for God and trying to serve God and accomplish more and be more and do more but our hearts have not trusted in what he's taught us to do. We miss out on the rest because of our unbelief. Notice the language of Hebrews 4 and verse 1. Let us therefore fear. God gave us this passage as a warning to look back at the Old Testament and see that there are people who wandered for 40 years thinking they were God's chosen people following God and they missed out on the rest because of their unbelief. Moses himself did not enter into the promised land. God's people were led into the promised land by Joshua because of his unbelief. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for rest today? 
Both that his plan and his will and his way of living life can give you rest and peace in the middle of the wilderness and that him and him only and his finished work is the only way of salvation. Without belief, we cannot enter rest, both present and perfect, and our final rest in heaven. We fail to enter into rest because of our unbelief. But I love verse 9 of our text. Notice what it says. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. The great thing about our God is that he's a merciful God and a gracious God. The door is still open. There still remains a door. Today is the day to call out to God in faith and put your trust in him. Believe in him. Believe his way is best. Believe his will is best. And believe that he is your only hope for eternal salvation. There still remains a rest for the people of God. I'm so thankful for that this evening. So we've seen, number one, that God promises his people a present and a perfect rest. Number two, we fail to enter that rest because of our unbelief. We've got a problem. We need a solution. Number three, the cure to unbelief is faith in the word of God. The cure to unbelief is faith in the word of God. There's a clear antidote. If unbelief is a, we'll use a common term here, if unbelief is a pandemic, which it is, in the world, and unfortunately in many Christian churches, there is a cure. There is an antidote, and it's faith in God's promises. This is a passage about our faith and how our faith in God's word can help us to overcome unbelief. Look at verse number two one more time. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Max Alderman uh, wrote a commentary in this, this book of Hebrews chapter 4, and he talked about that phrase, not being mixed with faith. And he kind of used the illustration. That's like saying, you know, just add water. Maybe you make pancakes in the morning, or you make some sort of smoothie, and you, you, know, you just add water and you mix. The word of God must be mixed in our hearts with faith and belief. Without it, it's of no profit. The Bible makes it very clear that the same gospel that's preached unto us was preached unto the children of God. The gospel was preached unto us, the gospel was preached unto them, but it did them no profit because it was not mixed with faith in the word of God. Do you have faith in the word of God? I was thinking about that, and I was remembering a time when I was a teenager, I used to work uh, in construction. My dad owns a construction company, and I used to work with my dad in construction. And one job we were working on was downtown uh, Hamilton, the old Westdale Village. They're older homes, it's a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. Uh, but they're older homes, and uh, they're well-developed neighborhoods. The person we were working for had lived there for quite a long time, I think over 20 years. I mean, all the landscaping was done, the driveway was done, there's a beautiful back deck and back garden. They had invested a lot of money in their home. We had done their kitchen a few years before. It was a beautiful home. But they had a problem. They had a leaky basement. You ever had a leaky basement before? Right now, maybe some of us are having leaky basements, right? We've had a lot of rain. And so they needed their weeping tile to be done. But the problem was is really going in from the outside and tearing up like the way you normally would was not really an option. I mean, we have to tear up the driveway and tear up the beautiful landscaping and the back deck. It just was not uh, the right kind of situation. They didn't want to do that. And so we decided to do it from the inside. They had uh, an unfinished basement with you know, an old concrete floor. We'll do it from the inside. Now, one thing you should know is I'm about 6'3", 
the basement was about five nine, all right? So we were working like this for about a week, okay? Especially me. So we're down there working, and what we needed to do was break up with a jackhammer, a concrete breaker, like a little maybe 12-inch or 13-inch trough all the way around the outside wall. And we have to dig down and lay new weeping tile and put dimple wrap up the walls to send the moisture down where it's supposed to go and put new stone. And then once all the work was done, we had to replace the concrete. We ripped it up, and now there's a huge hole all the way around the circle of the room, and now we got to repair the hole. So normally, I poured a lot of concrete with my dad before, and it's kind of fun. You know, the truck comes, and they put the big long chute. Sometimes you got to use a wheelbarrow and wheelbarrow it to the backyard. That's no fun. But sometimes, I mean, you could get the chute right on the front porch, right in the forms. You kind of just stand there, and you watch it come down the chute, maybe spray a little water on the chute. You shovel a little bit. And then once it starts to set up, then the work happens. This job, it just like I said, it was tight. There's neighbors right next door, a small driveway. We're in the basement. There's no way we're getting a truck in there. There's no way we're getting a chute in there. Even if we put in a wheelbarrow, we got to go down stairs that twist. We're not getting a wheelbarrow down there. So my dad decides that we're going to do it by using bags of cement. So we go and we load up all kinds of bags of cement. Now let me just, this is a quick little rabbit trail, but I promised my dad I would say this. Dad's working uh, construction for a long time. Here's a pet peeve of his. If you're walking on a sidewalk, you're not on cement. You're on concrete. Cement is the, the powder stuff we find in the bags. When we mix it with water, it becomes concrete. I promised my dad I would say that. Just educating the world a little bit. It's one of his pet peeves, all right? So here we are. We're mixing concrete. Here's my job. My job is to stand in the driveway, to take the bags of cement and pour it into the bucket, add water, use the drill with the paddle on it, and mix. Then I take those buckets, and I walk them down the stairs of the basement, and I pour it in the hole. And I go back upstairs, and I get a new bag, and I pour it in, and I add water, and I mix. And I carry that downstairs, and I pour it in the hole, and then Dad would finish the concrete. And so for at least a day, maybe a couple days, that's what I did all day long, is I poured cement in the bucket, I added water, and I mixed. You know, if we were to take all those bags of cement, the powder, and pour it in the hole that we had made, smooth it all out, it's of no profit to the homeowner. There's no structural or foundational value. It doesn't do anything to fix the problem that we've created. It's only when we add the water and we mix. God's word is so powerful. And we hear it preached, if you're a faithful attendant of this church, week and week and week after week. And so thankful for the opportunity and the freedoms we have to do that. But if we come week after week and open our Bible day after day and hear God's word and we do not mix it with faith in God's word, it is of no profit to us. Think of what the Bible says in James. Be not hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, not just hearers. God is looking for those who will not just hear his word and hear his promises, but live by them and act on them and mix it with faith in our hearts because then they're powerful. Then they're able to change our lives, but only when mixed with faith. And that's why in the middle of this passage that speaks of rest, both present and future, that speaks about unbelief, we find this famous verse in verse 12. And i got to be honest, at first I was like, I don't understand why this verse is where it is. It's a great verse, but I don't get why it's here. But let's read it together. Hebrews 4 and verse number 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Here's why this verse is here, I believe. Because the cure to our unbelief 
is faith in the promises found in God's word. In the middle of a passage, in the middle of a warning of a people who missed out on all that God had planned for them because of their unbelief, God is giving us this great verse about the power and importance of his word, which when we put in our hearts and mix with faith has the power to save us, to allow us to enter into a life of peace, a life of rest, a life of joy, even in the middle of a wilderness journey. If we'll mix God's word with faith. I love what the Bible says here. The word of God is quick. It's quick. It means that it's alive. It's a living word. You think about it, it's not only quick, but Ephesians teaches us that it's quickening. It's alive and it has the power to make you alive, to make us alive. That's what God's word is. It's sharp and it pierces us, it convicts us, it divides right from wrong and teaches us uh, what is right in this world where it seems like everything is upside down. It discerns our hearts and our thoughts and our motives and helps us to live pure and honest lives, pleasing lives to God. And when we live our lives in obedience by faith to God's word, then we experience peace and blessing and rest, both here on this earth and in the life to come. I think of God's promise to us that he's come that we may have life, not just eternal life in the life to come, but abundant life here on this earth. God's will for you as a believer is to not live this life at a crazy breakneck pace, out of control, running around, trying to accomplish and achieve, and then one day rest on the shores of heaven. That's not God's will. He wants for you to have abundant life today and eternal life tomorrow. And we, we experience that through faith in his word. And so I ask you tonight as we, we finish up, do you have faith in the word of God? Has God's word been mixed in your heart with faith or has it just fallen on deaf ears? Hearing the word of God is great, but it's only powerful to change our lives when it's mixed in our hearts with faith. Believe that what God's word says about rest is true and follow it. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven through your good works. You can't. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Rest in God's finished work on the cross. Thank the Lord. That's what Christ said on the cross. It is finished. There's no more work to be done. We just accept him and believe in him through faith. And we can enter into rest. Stop trying on this earth to earn and achieve acceptance through working more, through the clothes that we wear, through the social media posts that we post and the acceptance we get online and having friends and uh, the love and acceptance of our neighbors. The Bible teaches us that we're accepted in the beloved. If the God, creator of the universe, loves me and accepts me in Jesus, why does it matter what anyone else thinks of me? If I'm living my life to please him, let's not live to please others. Not stop striving and rest in God's promise. Stop trying to accumulate the world's wealth and riches. Planning for the future and retirement and thinking that we need more and have more and accomplish more and achieve more, taking ourselves outside of the plan and the the rhythm that God has intended us to follow. Don't build bigger barns. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Trust in God. Think of the, the children of Israel in the desert. Daily, God provided for them, protected them, gave them manna. God will provide for us. Lay up treasures not on earth, but in heaven. Believe that he will provide for you. I want to close with this thought. About a year and a half ago, I guess now, uh, when the world 
kind of first learned, or at least when, when I feel like we first learned about what COVID was, the world kind of just grinded to a halt. I remember those first few days when it seemed like, you know, everyone was off work and everyone's at home and there was a lot of fear, a lot of unknowns. We didn't understand what we're going through. In those first couple weeks, you know, it was kind of scary, kind of cool, kind of fun, kind of weird. Like, it was just, it was just a crazy time, right? Our church went online for the first time. I think a lot of churches went online for the first time. Work went online, school, it's just everything went online. We just stayed home, right? And I think in the Christian world, uh, and I'm just talking about our church, I'm including myself in this, just in churches in general, maybe about a week and a half or two weeks into this shutdown, the church just kind of let out a collective, (sighs) a sigh. There was this, this is kind of nice. We're sitting and worshiping with our family. You know, we, we didn't go to work, and if we did go to work, we came home and just like, Spent time with our kids. Went for a walk with my wife. It's like, what's all we're allowed to do, you know? There was no soccer. There was no schedules. There was no meetings. We just kind of fellowship. We read our Bibles together. We enjoyed a service together. We worshiped. We talked about what the pastor preached about. We just kind of rested. And I think it kind of taught us that we've been living at a breakneck pace that God did not intend us to live at. And as the world begins to roll back into steam and For many of you, I think, you know, it's kind of full steam ahead, and some of you perhaps are still feeling the effects of of the lockdowns, but as we begin to assume our regular lives and duties again, will we remember that God has a plan and a way for us to live this life, that it's not just a future rest we're looking forward to, but he's promised us that if we live and honor him and believe him and live by his word, that there's a, a present rest that we can experience today too? That God wants us to live lives not just eternal in fellowship with him, but abundant and joyful and peaceful here on this earth. It shouldn't take a pandemic, although maybe it did, for us to learn that. And so I hope this passage can teach us that tonight. And so, to go back to the beginning, why do we need to labor into rest? Because our natural man wants to trust in our flesh. Our sinful nature wants to work and achieve and accomplish our security our status, we must labor and work to live by faith in obedience to God and his word, trusting him for rest here on this earth and for rest eternal in the life to come. We must fight the desire to need more and have more and be more and achieve more and learn to rest by faith in the finished work of Christ. And so that's my challenge to all of us tonight is that we'll learn and be warned from the Israelites who were close to God and God's people, but failed to enter into his rest because of their unbelief. Is there unbelief in your life tonight? Fight it, overcome it through faith in God's word. If all of us would make a decision tonight to leave here and say, God, I'm going to live by faith what I've learned. I'm not just going to be a hero. I'm going to be a doer. God, I want to experience that rest both in heaven forever and here on this earth. I think we would see a changed walk with God this week and we'd see a changed perspective. And so I hope that'll be a help to us. Let's pray and and we'll be dismissed this evening. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's quick and it's powerful, that it has the power to save us and to keep us and sustain us. I pray that you'd help all of us tonight to trust it, to live by faith, not relying on our own strength, our own belief to accomplish or to achieve or to do more, be more, but rest in you in your finished work on the cross for salvation and in your plan and order for our lives here on earth. 
God, thank you that you're a God who doesn't just want us to rest at the end of our journey, but gives us a rest in the middle of our journey. Forgive us for the times when we've been marked by and living with unbelief. Help us as we try this week to fight our unbelief with faith. Well, thank you for it, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.